your brother's hungry? Don't you know your sister's lonely? Don't you know there's babies crying? Don't you know your brother's dying? Greetings. I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashe Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of Black Folks Do Therapy. Thank you for joining us again today. We left you with a bit of a cliffhanger last time. So we were talking with Dr. Adisa Jamu out of Irvine, California, and we were discussing how developmental psychology applies to psychology in general, and we were getting ready to move into a conversation about the novel The Healers by the great author Ayikwe Arma. And we we're going to chop up a bit about some of the ways he integrates psychological themes into his work and just how inspiring his work is. So get ready to rejoin that conversation. If you haven't listened to the one before, go back and do that. And then join us here as we continue this wonderful dialogue about the integration of the healers and psychology. All right, let's get back to it. These are all themes that come forth in his books and challenge us to push against the, the paradigm we're in currently and look to creating a newer, better paradigm that's, that centers us as African people and pushes us forward in the, with the thrust of excellence and the ability to accomplish and, and do wonderful, great things. Um, so that's just giving people a backdrop of, of what our minds are. You can add something to that if you, if you like. Yeah, so, so um, most people will likely know Ayikwe Ama from uh, the book that actually launched him onto the international scene, which is Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born, mm -hmm. which was written, I believe, in, in 1968. And, uh, and it's really, it's a book about, you know, um, this, yeah. this, this, this man who's basically a principal man in, in a society that has, that has decided that it doesn't want to be principled anymore. Mm -hmm. And so as he's trying to do the right thing, he's, he's the one that's seen as a villain. Right. Um, you know, because right. he shows integrity. He's he's the one that's the villain, as opposed to uh, folks recognizing. Okay, look, what he's really trying to show you is like we have a way of doing things that that by honor and integrity and respect we have lost our way, and and find our way back. But instead, everybody just views him with you know a program and scorn. And so that's the really the novel that sort of you know puts him you know in the limelight. And uh, he writes several novels after that, but then somewhere along the line, Ahmad takes a turn. Uh, and he gets really, he's very much enamored with Cranes Fanon and very much uh, invested in what's happening in terms of black power movements and so on and so forth. And he recognizes that he wants to really write books that really focus on more Pan-Africanist orientation. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so he writes uh, 2000 Seasons in 1972 and he follows that with The Healers. And they really are, in some ways, companion pieces because the 2000 seasons really deals with sort of the, the what we would call the sort of like the psychosocial dynamics, right? Like all of the all of the things that exist outside culturally 
the impact, you know, societally the impact the way people behave. And then the healers are really more intrapsychic because they're looking at the individual and the choices that people make uh, that inform their psychological worlds in a sense. So they really sort of are a companion text, even though, you know, one of them is much more difficult to get through than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and the healers is actually a historical novel. So it's really taken from the Ashanti, the British Ashanti War of 1870 to 1874. So it's an actual historical event. And uh, he fictionalizes it. And I would say that, you know, uh, it's been said before, so I'm not saying anything here that's new, but uh, novels or fiction uh, does something um, that nonfiction can't do. Or, or I should say that, that nonfiction has a hard time doing. Uh, nonfiction is focused on facts, like how do you get the facts right? What novels or fictions are investing in is finding truth. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes in nonfiction, the facts don't get to the truth, mm-hmm. right? So you so you can say, oh, well, Christopher Addicts was the first person to die, right? But that, but it don't tell us whether or not he was forced down to the street, whether that, like, all we know that, right. that you know, so we know the historical facts, but not the truth or what the truth was like in, in the colonial period for Black folks. And so what novels do is they allow you to um, search for the truth, reach for it, and to uh, look for it in ways that you can't in, in nonfiction. And so what Ama is trying to do is really to get at, at, at the truth of Black folks' predicament, African people's predicament globally. And he's using these stories as a mechanism to sort of um, at least expose uh, these ideas and allow people to find the truth that's in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, you know, with Albert Einstein said that, that imagination is more powerful than knowledge. Um, and, and what fiction does is it allows you to engage imagination. So in The Healers, you know, he's trying to really talk about what happens when you have a society that is um, itself sick. Mm-hmm. And even though it has outside forces that are trying to impinge upon it, right? Because the British, in the novel, the British are trying to take over Kamasi. They're trying to take over the Shanti Empire. But the Shanti Empire itself is sick, right? Because it's, the, the Shanti Empire also has a system that's based on stratification and it has a slave class, right? So, and it's based on conquest and so on and so forth. So Ahmad's asking a question, how do you find a way to heal a society that has been built on certain kinds of uh, pathologies, even as the outside uh, pathologies are also encroaching on it. And who uh, is going to be the one to take up that work? Because the folks who take up that work are going to, A, have enemies of all the folks in the Ashanti empire who have benefited from that. Right. And all the white folks who, wanna, who, who also want to be engaged in the conquest, right? So you literally have, you being crushed on both sides. And yeah. so what happens in a society in which uh, folks are sick and they are committed to being sick, but there are folks here who are trying to say, "Look, there's a better way here if you if you take this path." And so that's really sort of the the, the at least some of the things that the novel is taking up. Mm-hmm. And that's you know to think about the doing the unpopular thing, right? That which comes out repeatedly as a theme in his in his works: um, the road less traveled so to speak, right? Um, eschewing the fame and the, and the material possessions and, and all those things that would draw us in, that would draw most people in, I should say. Um, being able to say, I'm going to not go that route because we need to get back to the essence of who we really are. And at, at the core of that is, if we're saying these are our values, 
then we should be aligning our actions with those very things. And the fact that the system is not doing that, um, even as they're still spouting, we should do that, but they're not doing that. And just the, the, the lunacy in that, right? He's able to bring that to the, to the forefront front and point that out. Even so as, as we're getting into the healers and he's talking about this whole concept of the games, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, this concept of competition, he puts it right there. You know, we got these games and it's the strongest, the fastest, the one who can, uh, the, the best marksman, the strongest wrestler, who can be the best as opposed mm-hmm. to we're engaging in these competitions in the spirit of um, collegial, you know, being collegial and being able to bond with each other, right? Yeah, so you know, so one of the challenges here is that, look, does a fish know it's, a fish doesn't really know it's in water until you take it out of water. And so the, the, the society that we have been born into has a set of values that we have adopted, even though we're not aware that we've adopted them, right? This notion of manic individualism, uh, conspicuous, conspicuous consumption, consumerism, competition, the value of the individual over the collective, um, this whole idea of, you know, thinking that your success is predicated on somebody else's failure. Um, the idea that, that uh, the most important uh, entity in a, in, a, in, a, in a community is one sing the nuclear family and not an extended family. The idea that 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 um, that a community has a responsibility for taking care of everybody in the community those those are all values that are that are not promulgated by the society. So in our society, we have been sort of acculturated to a value system that not only is predicated on the demise of Europeans but predicated on the demise of ourselves. Right. So for example, we will talk all day long about Black Wall Street but never mentioned it at all about how the poverty was all that was also in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In other words, these were folk who were capitalists and they were doing what capitalists do. Like, you know, making sure they make sure they, they're making money and making sure their families are straight, right? So, but why do we keep putting forth the Black Wall Street as an example? Because we have accepted a, a model of value orientation that says capitalism is key. And that the way to success is to pull yourself up by your bootstrap and have your nice house. So we don't ask, nobody has ever asked the question, okay, well, what was the quality of life for black folks who wasn't didn't, didn't own banks, right? That, that didn't have access to the airports, right? That didn't have, right? Again, nope, nobody asking that question because that's because the, because the, because in the American context, that's not important. It's not important who's poor because in America, everybody believes they got a shot at being a millionaire, right? It's just, it's just, it's just my time just ain't came, you know, the clock ran out on me, right? So again, all of the ideas that we keep putting forward under the under the aegis of us having some kind of black unity are still ideas that are antithetical to our liberation, right? So to me, it's more impressive to say, okay, well, Black Wall Street, you know, they had the Black Wall Street, but there was very little poverty because they found ways to share the wealth, right? We ain't hearing them conversations. <laughs> we're not, we're not, those, those conversations ain't happening. So for me- Wow, you a, just you just blew my top right there. I hadn't thought about it like that. Is so where we were those was Black Wall Street not operating that way? Is that are you... uh, but, the, the the history of the history of, of of black wealth in this country is capitalism, right? In the same way, Jim, Jeff Bezos or God's Mahine trying to freeze on white folks. That you know, the same way that there were certain black families in the South that participated in, in the in the trade and enslaved Africans, right? Because in the economic system, 
you simply participate. You don't ask questions about who, you know. And so, again, we, but it's certainly, you know, for me, the fact is that we're not even asking the question, right? We so, we so hell bent on celebrating some kind of capitalist achievement, right? Showing that we, right, we right on par with white folks. Because really, the argument about Black Wall Street is saying, look, we, just, we was just as good as white folks. That's, that's the basic yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah, right? I, yeah, I get it. That's, that's... Yeah, and, and, and my question is the same reason that we keep focusing on the pyramids, because we keep trying to show that we just as advanced as Greece, even though Greece learned from us. So, but but folks who are in a, a conscious mindset are asking about how what was the quality of life for all of the black folks in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, not just the folks who had the wealth, right? You know, there was a time I remember when I was at Howard, one of the professors, uh, Dr. Roberts, talked about a time. There was a time I think it was in the twenties when white folks were going to march on, you know, were going to come to attack the campus, and people in the community actually circled the campus to protect Howard University. And he was saying, like, he, he asked, like, do you think that would happen today? We're like, nah. We don't have because folks at Howard didn't have a relationship with people who lived in the neighborhoods around us, right? And the same way, like the same thing with Morehouse, right? That oftentimes, you know, we came in these communities, we go to school, we come home, we don't have a relationship with the people who actually live in the communities where the school is situated, and so that whole disconnect. So we don't even ask the question, like, okay, so what was the quality of life in the midst of all of this this supposed capitalist success? Did black folks do something different with that? Than did white folks, right? Were they more likely to extend loans in their banks, right? Whatever. I don't have the answers. I just know we're not asking them questions because that ain't interest. We're not asking the question because it doesn't interest us. What interests us is to be able to say that we were just as successful as white folks until white folks got in the way. Even if that means that we were just as exploitative, just as uh, um, harsh in terms of how we we dealt with folks in terms of loans and businesses and property ownership and all those kinds of things. So. To me, the question, it still goes back to this whole question about what is the value orientation? At the end of the day, what is the value orientation that is powering black folks in the United States? And I would argue it's the same value orientation that's powering white folks in the United States, right? You know, get as much as you can, uh, as fast as you can, and pull up, your, pull up your personal family and your friends, but not necessarily be focused on how you elevate community, mm. right? And that's, there's a psycho there's a psychology behind that, right? In terms of being programmed to be a participant and a part of that capitalistic society. If that if your dream is to get as much as you can for you and yours to the detriment of anybody else, that is a programming. That that and so a deprogramming would have to take place that says. I'm going to focus on uplifting everybody as I'm lifting as well. So, but surely there were people that were doing that too. Yeah, yeah, there were. But but you know, but but again, those those examples don't get lifted up, right? You know, like for instance, we talk a lot about Booker T. Washington. We don't talk a lot about the fact that Booker T. Washington gave a lot of money to um, a lot of black organizations that were fighting for civil rights behind the scenes, right? We only talk about Booker Washington as the accommodationist, but not in terms of, of the work that he did behind the scenes and, and the money that he, he put out to support a lot of efforts, including early on with Garvey. So I think that, it, but again, we, we people, people listen for the stories that harmonize with the values that they want to, to advance, mm -hmm. right? And so if, if, if everybody in our society is focused on how you become rich and famous, those are the stories that you pay attention to, right? 
Like you, and and again, we 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 are not being honest about the degree to which we have been socialized to have a particular value orientation, right? You got mega churches. Those mega churches are, are nothing but shrines erected to just blatant capitalism. That's what they are. They they, they have they have they have taken a, a a a message that's supposed to be about equality, egalitarianism, looking out for one another, making sure that everybody has enough to eat, and become discussions about whether or not one should have a private plane or not, or whether or not you're tithing, or or you need to turn your W two to make sure you're tithing appropriately, or or the or the, all of the prosperity ministers that have made you know a living, um, grown grown wealthy by preaching that right. So so at every level, all these institutions, right, are still carrying that message, right. So for instance, how do you get the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955? You get that because people are built are bought into a community to a value orientation that says that all of us have to come up, right. That means that basically people who ride the buses got to agree not to ride the buses. People who are doing really well got to agree to let people who ordinarily they don't even talk to ride in their car, you know, right. and give them, and you got to do this for a year under intense pressure from the, you know, oppressive force in Montgomery, Alabama, right? The threats, the firings and so on. So how are you able to do that? You're able to do that because there's a value orientation that says that all of us have the right to be treated equal. Not some of us, not some of us get the opportunity but all of us have that right, and 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 that's how you that's how you get the Haitian Revolution because once everybody recognized they was in the same boat, you know the Creoles, the 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 free blacks, and and the enslaved. That once they recognized they were all, they, it was all in the same predicament. That's how you have the, the the basis for Haitian Revolution. So what you have here is you know essentially everybody is you know essentially adopting a value same you know uh, a value orientation that's antithetical, right? Until black people have been getting killed by cops forever. Until middle class black kids start getting killed, and middle class black folks who are educated start getting killed, then it becomes a national a, a national issue in our community. As long as it was happening in the hood, that was just that's just that's just, that's par for the course in the hood. Like black folks in Chicago been getting terrorized for 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 decades. Black folks, you know, we used to have a saying in in L.A. You know, the, on the police car says "serve and protect." We'd be like "serve and protect and break a nigga's neck." That was the that was the term that we used. So, and this was back in, in in the 80s, right? So this has been an ongoing thing. The fact is that, that we have adopted orientation that says the survival of the fittest, social Darwinism, that the, that the individual is more important than the group, except in crisis, except when the door is closed for you, right? All, so all of a sudden, you done moved up on your own bootstraps and you can't get into Harvard, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, black, white folks are keeping us down, but they weren't keeping us down as long as you was moving up the ladder. It wasn't a black folks thing, right? You know, it was like, okay, look, you know, I know y'all got that problem, but if you just do your work and you excellent, you'll excel. So I think that part of it is we got to have a conversation about what is the, you know, you talk about this a lot in your work about aligning your 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 uh, actions with your values. Mm-hmm. But we got to have a conversation about as a community, what are our values, right. right? Because you can't hold somebody to align their actions to values if their values are different than yours. They, they may be doing that. It just may be antithetical. And that's a that's the conversation that we're not having. We're not having a conversation. Okay, what is what is the value orientation for Black folks in this country that we need to adopt in order to be able to move forward? And um, we're not we're not having that in psychological circles either. Mm-hmm. We're not. And that's you know? those. So those are the questions that um, Amar raises. What are the values that we are going to be down with? And the the values are quite, you know, that was written. Years ago, right. decades ago, 
about a situation century a century ago, but it's still prevalent and pertinent today in terms of the way we are positioning ourselves. And as we were talking earlier in terms of the developmental piece, moving away from this um, model of deficit to a model mm -hmm. of creation of product. So we get to ask the questions that tap into the values that we wanna have, those values that speak to the best of us. And so talking about what those values are as our mod challenges us mm -hmm. to do, and then uh, then aligning our value, our actions to those values, I think is the is the next productive thing that's going to move us out of this uh, trauma, trauma, trauma into true healing, as the healers would want and, us to do. So that brings that brings me up to my next point, which is since we're having a conversation about psychologists and therapy, is this whole idea about psychologists as healers? That ain't true. The, the reality is that we like the idea of healing because it feeds the ego. Right, but in the, in the in the in the purest sense, you're a conduit. You ain't healing nobody. Your your yeah. job is to be there to be the, to be the conduit. But everybody wants to say because it's become part of the popular. Once something comes part of the popular consciousness, it takes on the life of its own. So everybody's a healer, even though nobody can define what healing is. Right. So, especially like it's different. Like you know, when you're talking about like if somebody breaks their arm, and you set it back so they, they work, that's healing, right? When we talking about when you talking about folks and you're dealing in the world of psychology and, and trauma. A lot of times you, you ain't restoring because healing has to do with restoration back to wholeness. And a lot of times that's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. What we really are doing, if we are honest, is what we is palliative care. At most of the really good therapy is palliative care. It's pain management. We are basically helping people how to how to manage the pain. That's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But that ain't sexy. And, then, and it don't make you feel important to be like, okay, I'm in the business of, of helping people manage pain. It's much more sexy to say I'm a healer, right? And I do healing work because it's about the ego. Everybody want to feel like they're important, right? Mm -hmm. And that and that and that's part and that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we don't. If you if you if you, you the Chinese say that one of the keys to knowledge is naming a thing properly. And if you understand, like so, somebody been as a victim of sexual abuse from the time they were five to the time they were fifteen, right? No one person is going to be in a position to heal them. That's just silly. What you're doing is you are giving you are you are working with them to give them tools to a to deal with the hurt and to manage the pain so that they can function more more healthily in a society. That's what that's that's what really great therapy does. And the moment you get to the point of talking about healing, that means the healing means that basically you have removed all that trauma, all that energy from that person, and that person is completely whole like they were at five before that event happened. And there ain't no therapist that I know of that's doing that, but you know, if they are, they need to be writing that in some notes so we, so the rest of us can figure that out. But it's just, but but again, it's 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 one of those things where we do. You know, there's a a quote in in our mind. So you know, healing is not about has has very little to do with our selfish aims. It has nothing to do with self-importance. It is the ability to help life recreate itself. To help life recreate. In other words, our job is to be there to help facilitate a natural process. Right. And so the body has a capacity for restoration, but you ain't, you can't do it. And and again, but we, we hear this time and time again. I keep hearing therapists and uh, clinical counselors like all the time. Like I'm a healer. Bro, you, that, no, you're not. But 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 there's honor. In, but there's honor in, in helping somebody manage pain because pain is debilitating. And if you can, you can help somebody manage the pain, it's like anything like physical pain. 
if I can help you manage the pain in your arm, you can you can move your arm, you can do certain kinds of things. It's not, it's not to say the arm is the same as it was before, but you can still, you can work around it. And if you can do really good pain management, you can get to the point that the person doesn't really feel much pain at all, right? But that's not healing. And so we, so we always make a distinction between healing and palliative care. Right. And, and and for us, I think that's important. That's an important distinction to have, and it's an important distinction for us to hold our colleagues up against. Like, stop saying that, because that's not what you're really doing. Right. Yeah, the way I think about it is, is like you said, uh, being a conduit, it's like, I'm, who am I, right? At the end of the day, right. even when I work with people, I say, I'm sharing information. And if the information is useful to you after you let it synthesize in your mind and you let it marinate and you say, okay, you, I might use 5%, I might use 20%, I might use 50. I have to make that decision and apply it to my life. I have nothing, me, the therapist has nothing to do with that. It is up to the person to do that. Um, and when I look at the way Armad um, talks about the healers in, in this book, they are doing work in that way, right? They are mm -hmm. asking questions, like his work with one of the main characters, Araba Jesua, and she's emotionally distraught, depressed. She can't have children as a result. She has all of these blockages because of the emotional pain that she's carrying, um, in large part because she's out of order. She's not living in in a. She's not living her destiny path. She is living according to what other people want her to be. So her spirit is not aligned, right? Her her actions and values aren't aligned. So the dissonance creates this all these negative feelings for her. He is able to recognize that to some degree and through asking her why she is making the choices and how it's um, benefiting her and how it's like it's I, I can't believe he's not a psychologist, but then again, he is because he's writing this in such a profound way. And ultimately, as she's talking about it, explaining to her, she's explaining to Densu, another main character, what has right. happened to her. She's, she's saying, well, it's, he didn't do it to me. He did it with me. Like that's one of the things she says because Dennis was like, well, "What did he do to you? How did he? How did he make this happen?" He's fascinated that um, she's so excited about how her life changed, and Dennis was interested in this whole. He's fascinated by the inspiration, which is another key point. Inspiration, like th that's my biggest takeaway from. I'm jumping a bit, but that's my yeah. biggest take. I love the inspiration versus the manipulation. Like, I love right, the, right, that right, concept right, right there right. because the capitalistic society is about manipulation. It is, it's right, about, right. It's even look, look what's going on with the stock market, right? It's about manipulating people, their feelings, getting them to buy stuff. And so they, this, this, um, this uh, three-card Monty thing that they do, moving right, stuff right. around, manipulation, trying to manipulate so that I can make more as opposed to inspiration, tapping into the inner uh, spirit of people and bringing out the best in them so that we all win. And it's not a it's not a competition in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, so Ahmad does a couple of things here that, that um, I think are, are, are really brilliant. One of them is that he shows that that no one person can do the healing. 
And he does that by showing that, you know, so for instance, that the, the Eastern Forest has a number of different healer villages that do different work, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the other one he does is he shows that there's a difference between healing the mind and healing the body, right? So he has the one moment, the moment with, with Ira Jessica, where it's really about working with her through healing the mind, right? About the, the inability right. to conceive. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other one about setting bones, right? Because bones right. are broken, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's, show, he's, showing a, he's showing a contrast between what it takes to heal the, the the mind versus what it takes to 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 heal the body, and that he's saying that even with all that, even at a certain point, like he still says that that even with having healed the body, Araba Jessel has to make the decision whether or not she wants to stay here, right? Like whether or not she wants to live, and that's not that's not up to me, and up to her. Right. And so the, so the, 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 the other part of this is that there are folks who do healing work. My argument is that that psychologists can't make that claim, not that other people can't. Right, that, that that we also know about traditions with folks who come with tumors or whatever, and they work with an Akanfo or Babalawo, or someone who is is you know um, skilled in um, the African spiritual systems around those particular healing modalities that actually do heal people, they actually remove a tumor, so on and so forth. My argument is that Western psychology has not trained Black psychologists <laughs> to do that. Like that, that, like so. So you make so when people say they're making a false claim, they, that that you even nothing in your training has has taught you how to do that. So you so you're making a claim for something that you that you literally have not been trained to do. So that so that's that's why I'm making. So I'm not saying that people can't do healing. I know I have I know friends who are herbalists that they literally somebody has a, a, a digestive issue and they heal the person. They restore the system back to wholeness. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that there aren't people that can't do it. And I'm not saying that there aren't psychologists can't. I'm saying that there are no psychologists who've been trained to do that in the Western modality. What you've been trained to do is deal with pain management, and, and we should we should be clear uh, make that distinction. The other the other the other piece that Ahmad does is he says, look. It's not just inspiration and manipulation. You're saying that everything that you see in this world that the West has introduced is around manipulation. All these synthetic vitamins, all these synthetic drugs, all the processed food, those are all ways in which you manipulate natural properties so you can multiply them for profit. But even though the, in, multi, in manipulating them, you're making them actually more harmful, right? All of the processed food we have is a process of manipulation. It's not, it's not us taking something from the earth and, and preparing it, you know? And so the argument about, about inspiration versus manipulation is also about the ways in which people are making a concerted effort to move against nature's natural flow. And everything that Armand is saying, like, you know, the, the whole idea of inspiration is like, it's about going with the flow of, of life, going with the flow of nature. That there are certain things you do and you just get out the way and let, let nature do what it does. So mm -hmm. he's inviting, in the conversation, he's inviting uh, Araba Jessawa to basically allow allow the life force to do what it would do naturally if you get out of this way. And with the bone setting, he's saying, look, okay, we got to reposition the bones. So there's some part of that, like you got to manipulate the bones to get them in place. But then at that point, you got to step back and let nature do what it's, what it's trying to do. So there's a there are points in it where manipulation is important, but it's only in the context of that manipulation serving the, the larger goal of creating space for inspiration to do its work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the whole idea about like setting bones and, and that kind of part of it. Like, so it's not, so he's not making like a, a sharp demarcation, but he's saying like, basically the driving force here is inspiration. And that anytime manipulation comes into play it's because it's, it's being subservient to this force of inspiration, not at, not because it, because it, inspiration is being subservient to the manipulation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's juxtapose that with the work that he does with the general who mm -hmm. is part of the nobility class 
who, you know, is there's a hierarchy and he understands it. And the, the healers, the, his comrades are saying, why are you doing this work with him? And he is saying, hmm, I see something that we might be able to help him tap into that could be beneficial for the collective. Yeah, so, so Amar here is doing the thing that we all try to, to do at some point. Like, yo, you know, we can make we can make more changes from the inside than on the outside, uh -huh. right? It's that it's that, it's that, it's that classic conversation. Like, so you, so you want to so you know so the idea is like, can you bring Barack Obama over to our side when the whole reason that Barack Obama ran to be president was to be head of empire, not to not to dismantle it. You don't you don't you don't spend any time trying to be CEO of Shell Oil Company to dismantle oil, right? You you. You run to be CEO of Shell Oil Company because you think you can be a more efficient manager of it than the last person. And so, so, so when when Donfo deals with Enquanta, he is also being challenged by his own value orientation, right? Which is everything he says. I'm like, okay, this this is not going to work, right? Because this person is obviously bought into a system. But again, for a moment, his ego catches him because he's like, well, what if I can? Like, what if we can bring him over? This will be a powerful. So it's also showing that 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 even though Donfo is is, in, is clear, is he, he's not above being seduced too right. about the possibility. If you get if you get the big dog, you can change it. This whole conversation we have off 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 air about the whole idea about people always thinking that they want to be famous because the more people they can reach, the more impact they'll have. And it's not really about that. It's about them, about their ego, about the, what they. They feel they need to be able to say they can they can touch thousands of people, not about the fact that if you can touch ten people, that's important in a lifetime. So it's so it's also about the the and, I, and here's what I like about Armand is, is he doesn't give you the answer. He doesn't say right. whether that's the right way or the wrong way. Right. What he says is okay, yeah, you could try this, you know, but but again, in trying it, it was also saying something about you, and that's the part you gotta you gotta you have to also confront because also you know so downfall and again. The book is called, even though the, the focus is on downfall, the book is called The Healers, plural, right. not the healer. Right. And it's saying, and 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 it, it it's saying something here that um folks miss. Like so when you talk about the healers, we tend to focus on Donfo, who's the main healer in the story, and then Sue, who is the, who is the protagonist who who comes and wants to be um a healer as well. But what we miss is that Anan is the person who is really closer to downfall than Densu is. Mm -hmm. Anon, Anon is the one that can see things, is the visionary, not mm -hmm. Densu. And, and, and you are seduced because the very thing that you think you are being taught about, like, hey, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with this being against competition and choosing the person who's the strongest and the most beautiful, force you to also miss that the person who is best positioned to be the next downfall is not Densu, it's Anon. Right. Anon is the one that takes Densu under the water and shows him all the, the, the pebbles. It's a, it's a nine that says, okay, look, I, I want to fight this because I want to just test my limits. It's a nine that's the one that's always paying attention to all of the small details yes, in a way that that, that 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 Densu doesn't. And so when, yeah. and so he when, says, when, he when, says I, you're just staring. I want you to see it. Right. That's that's one of his quotes. Exactly. To Densu. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so when most people when they read the novel, they completely miss that, right? Like because a nine is just a throwaway. Like a nine is like we've all been socializing, there must always be a hero. And so you miss the fact that what is lost in you don't even mourn properly the loss of a nine because a nine is the one that really gets it. That's the reason why. That's the reason why uh, Donfo sends Densu back 
because this one ain't ready. And I was the one that was already there. And then the other person that we don't look at is Ajwa, right? Ajwa is also the one that rejected Esamon and her, and her mom and said, I want to go live with my dad and be a healer right. in the village. It's, it's, it's Ajwa who nurses Densu back to health. It's Ajwa who understands how all of the villages work and all of the systems and so on and so forth. But again, because we've been positioned to think, okay, it's always this here or here. So everybody focuses on Densu. But it's not the the this is the third in the line of the important new healers. It's a na, it's Ajawa, it's a na, and then Densu. And Densu becomes important because a nine is killed in the same way that Ama uh, was very much impacted by the death of Patrice Lumumba. So I think that the nine is also like the Patrice Lumumba, like this person who was destined to do these great things that gets cut down in the prime. And so now you're left with folks who are good at warriorhood and other kinds of things, and we got to work with them. Right? And they're good people too, but they weren't Lumumba. So I think that that's the part that, that that we miss again. Like, and so the attributes when you think about like you know what he's saying to Densu as, as, as friends, like we don't pay attention to those things because those are also as powerful as the lessons that Downfall was giving Densu. But we miss that, mm-hmm. like you know we miss that because we're so focused on like this, this is the hero here, right? And he is heroic, but he's also he also makes bad decisions, right? They almost get him and everybody else killed. So there's a part of this that also says that going back to the whole idea about like us being so much wrapped up in this idea of the heroism of being a healer that we're missing that, 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 that the, that the key properties of that are the things that are embodied in the Anon kind of character, not in the dense, the dense who have to learn how to be a healer where the Anon is already ready. He's ready at the time he gets killed. Right. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's another lesson there that, that, uh, you know, I guess the more you read these novels, the more you see things you didn't see before. Which indeed, is indeed. Of fiction anyway, yeah. And you know, I think that is um, the, the, the genius in in his writing, um, the ability to pull that stuff out. Um, and having, you know, as you know, um, I'll say for our audience, I, I was able to go to Senegal and spend a uh, little over two weeks um, with Arma in his, in his compound and working with him and sitting down, breaking bread with him every day and um, chopping up these different concepts. And just to see what you see, the, the, the concepts that you see in his writing is embodied in the way he lives his life. Um, mm-hmm. There is no pretense. Um, I, I work very, you know, I don't have any idols or anybody that I, you know, like that, but I, I, there's respect for people who are good at their craft, no matter what it is. I, 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 I just love to see people do, that, do what they do well, no matter what right, it right, is. Right. And yeah. he does what he does very, very well. It has that sense of balance. We were talking about my eye and I had this idealistic notion of my eye. And you, know, you gotta always tell the truth and you gotta always, and he says, well, hmm. So if, you're in a revolution and the protagonists come for you and they want to want to know where your colleague is. And you know that if you tell them they're going to kill your colleague, are you going to tell them the truth and you know where he is? And I said, <laughs> no, <laughs> but where's so where's the truth? Right. And right, right, right. His point was simply there are levels to this. And everything, there's a context. Now, of course, you don't want to go to the other extreme because we can rationalize right, you know, right. any kind of behavior, but it's about having a balance and looking at that thing and asking what, because so my, my is dynamic in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. There is, 
it, it, it moves, it's a living thing. And right. in one moment or even for one person, right? It, it changes, but that's the necessity of us being true to ourselves and walking in our true path um, so that we can tap into that and know what that energy is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. his characters. You see that in, in, in the elements of his characters as well. I, so I had, I must stay with me for a week. I think it was in uh, 98 because you see it doing the tours. I was responsible for taking them around. So I had, this, I had a similar experience. And I remember uh, we were, um, he was supposed to speak at an elementary school. And at the last minute, some folks had gotten wind that Ahmad was in town and they wanted to do this program. And, you know, he was in town, you know, to speak, but also to raise money for a program, you know, the, the publishing house and the, the publishing cooperative and some other projects he had. And so, you know, money is obviously important. So they came to him and they said to him, um, Baba Ahmad, you know, uh, we wonder if you would like to come on the radio program and, and talk. You know, it'd be a good chance for you to sort of raise awareness and possibly raise, raise some money for your efforts. Uh, and then um, I said, well, you know, well, what time is it? And then they got quiet. And then one of them said, well, it, it, uh, it's the same time as the time you're supposed to speak at the elementary school tomorrow. And, uh, and so he says, well, you know, I, I already made a commitment to the elementary school. So, you know, that's that. So then they came back to him and they said, well, you know, about, you know, blah, 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 you know, uh, here's all of the things, you know, you know, you're such a great man and da, 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 you know, we really think, you know, it, you know, the, the, while the kids are important, this is a this is a, a larger thing, right? You know, and then it, it, you know they were trying to manipulate it. So finally, they said, "Well, look, you know, at the end of the, in the end of the day, blah blah blah, it's up to you." And he says, "Well, ah, it's up to me." Well, I have spoken then, ah, <laughs> you know, and then he walked like you know, like like uh, he wasn't even giving into all. He wasn't even doing all the back and forth. Like he right. he just cut through all the pretense. You were said basically. You said to me, "It's up to me what I want to do." I already told you I want to do the elementary school. So it, the conversation over, right? So they did all these platitudes like a Bobby or you know type. And and he was just like he just listened. He said, and he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, Bob, it's up to you. He says, well, I have already spoken. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. We was, I, I, he looked at me. I was like, well, we we out, you know. So right, right. That, the whole thing about like you know, but I, I think that there's another there's a piece here that um, I would think there's a difference between honesty and truth, and truth has a higher register, you know. So it so in that instance that you use it. it, it to not tell the, the uh, to not give the person, not tell the person that, that's being dishonest, but it's not being untruthful because truth has a higher order and it's, and it's, and it's concerned with, with balance, that, which is why, you know, my eyes is only truth, right. just as right. All, all, all the other things are made up. Like it only, there's only three of them, right? So when people are like seven virtues, no, not only three, truth, justice, righteous. So, and they all, they all are aligned. It's about what, what introduces the balance. Right, and so it's not about an individual thing. It's about the, the the balance of our larger struggle. Of course, I'm going to say no because that's that's the, that's the goal here. The goal is to find a way to achieve the balance, right? To achieve what is just and what is right. And I think that's it. And I think that's the part that people you know they lose in these discussions around my eye, right? Because it's not about like this whole. It's not about the individual. It's about what restores the order, what restores the balance, and that's what becomes what is right, you know. And and um, I would say that, you know, for folks who really, like, I love Ahmad's essays. I think his essays are brilliant. Um, you know, uh, Eloquence of the Scribes is one of my favorite mm -hmm. books. Because mm -hmm. uh, he, talks about his, he talks about his process as a writer, his evolution as a writer. But it's not really about him. It's about how he stands in a lineage of 
of writers that go all the way back. You're like, you know how I'm just I'm just part of that that flow. And then um remembering I dismember continent, which is another great, you know, a compilation of his essays. I always tell people like that is, is that is probably the best. He has an essay in there on, on um of of Marx and Mask, which is an excellent dissection of Marxism in terms of African people and black folks embracing Marxism uncritically that I have ever read. I shared I share with a lot of my friends who are Marxists. And usually what happens when I share it to them, I don't hear from them for like three or four days. And eventually they come back, like, yo, this is yo, this this, this piece is good, but you know, I'm still riding with Marx. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Be a Marxist. But you got on you got on them Nikes, you know, you got yeah. like so yeah, so you so you engage in particular consumption. So so ideologically you're a Marxist, but you ain't a Marxist in terms of your praxis. And that's my whole point. Like we got a lot of yeah. folks who are like, engaged at the level of ideology, but not engaged at the level of praxis. And change happens at the level of praxis. And I think that's the, the thing that, you know, for you and I, and you know, for me, I'm like, I'm thinking about how do we change the conversation for psychologists and therapists? Because when you do this work well, it really is a secular priesthood because you are being invited into somebody's spirit and into their soul to work with them. It's a, it's a, it's a high calling. It's not something that's capricious. And when you see it that way, it means you got to align yourself in a certain way so that you can enter into a person's temple in a way that you don't do harm, you do good. But we're not, but we're not, we're not engaging that conversation. We're not having that conversation. We just jump to the healer part and not the not the issue around, you know, in, in many ways, Darfur in the novel is a priest. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not positioned that way, but it's a kind of a secular priest. He's not, he's not, he's not bound down to a particular guy. He's concerned with. What the, how to find the balance between the sacred and the profane, which is which is what what all priests are supposed to do to find that balance because people have to live in a world which they these are always in dynamic tension, and the guy in the role of the priest is to help them clarify so they always end up on the side of, of uh, emerge on the side of the sacred, and so in many ways you know you look at the work I look at at, uh, at uh, Baba Asa's work and uh, Baba Kobe's work. And uh, Barbara Robert Williams' work, and Linda James Myers, and uh, Mama Linda James Myers, and Mama Remember Ani, and and Ancestor Amos Wilson, and of course uh, 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 Wally Moo, Dr. Wade Nobles, and and Barbara Naim Akbar, all these folks that we know down the line, most of their work in their early stages was really kind of a secular priesthood. Like, how do you speak life into a people? Mm-hmm. How do you inspire them? How do you speak? And I think that part has been lost. And, and I'm always concerned that we are producing folks who are good technicians, but not necessarily good um, at palliative care. They have been given like here, do A, B, and C and keep it pushing, but not necessarily think about, okay, as I work with somebody else's life, I also gotta be engaged in elevating the quality of my life and the quality of my practice and aligning my values with my actions with my values. And that conversation we're not having. We don't have it at AB side, we don't have it in our circles. And those kinds of things are the things that we need to be having if we're going to have the kind of movement that we need to have that's truly going to be about, you know, elevating folks. You know, some of the emotional emancipation circles try to do some of that, um, but we need more of it, right? And so, again, going back to my point about think tanks, like there should be a think tank about, let's, we used to have these. Remember back in the day with uh, Mama Wea, about Kamal Spot, right? They invite, they invite all these um uh, Bob, it's a soul glade. All these, all these great minds, psychologists would come, and you and I, we just got to do, we got to do food runs and listen, right? Like that, what, and you, you know, it's, it's true eldership. Like you don't get to participate. Your, your whole thing is like you just get to be there. Right. Like, right? You know, and so but again, 
And, but we need to, but but that model needs to come back. It needs to come back. There's no reason in this day and age that we should be identifying five or six folks and saying, okay, you know, twice a year. Cause you know, I, mean, I did this when I was at uh, uh, AMFT, you know, the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, and I had those those think tanks, mm-hmm. right? And we would bring people in, you know, and and for a weekend, just really pouring the folks and and to teach them what we learn, you know, because again, it, we, so we could create our own little healer's village. We could all say, okay, look, every, every year we're going to throw a certain amount of money in the pot. And, right? and so if you're hosting it, if it's hosting in your city, right, since you ain't got to do airfare, then you got to arrange the meals and, you know, the place where we meet. But we could do that. Like I, I run a center. I run the Center for Black Culture Resource and Research. I got a spot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, could, we could do this. The question is about whether or not we have the will, because I think we need to change the conversation. And um, and I think we can. We got a lot of sisters out here. Uh, uh, Sister Isis Bay, who is in Charlotte, who you know who has Harmony Health, who's doing a great job. Uh, uh, our friend uh, Rita Wakobasi, who just wrote a book about you know being unapologetic black about our mental health. Um, there's a lot of folks here who are really ready to do the work. But we can, you know we have to call all these different hills villages together and gather them and say okay look this for this year this is going to be the agenda we're going to all write about this we're going to all talk about this mm-hmm. in the same way the other thing tanks do so i think it's a possible it, it, it should happen it's going to happen you know mm-hmm. um you know okay well this is this is some good stuff here like we <laughs> we didn't we didn't went around the world and we didn't i think we didn't solve a few problems too well we, <laughs> we let me not say that let me say it this way we have planted the seeds for some potential problems to be solved. And we gotta, you know, um, add some some action to that and you know, get some other folks involved. Uh, but I like the way this conversation went. Um, had no idea what we were gonna get into, but it was it was very thorough. It was very intense. And um, yeah, I wanna say that, you know, I had a, a, a great teacher when I was at Irvine. She recently became an ancestor, Dr. Early Piper Mandy. And I remember telling her, you know, she asked me like, why do I want to be a scholar? I said, because I want to find, you know, I want to find the answer. And she says, look, the goal of a scholar is to ask better and better questions, mm-hmm. not the answers, right? Once you get, answers are tied to ego, you know, but, but, but each time you ask a better question, you get, you get an answer, even though you haven't stopped the process of inquiry. And that, you know, and that, and that for me is always important. I always tell people like, you know, uh, like friends, like, you know, a, a, a poor question will always yield a, a poor answer. Like some, so when you meet somebody, so tell me about yourself. We're like, where do you want me to start? When I was six, seven, 15, 26, like, you know, like, you know, that's a poor question. You mm-hmm. know, but somebody says, you know, well, you know, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you come to be a developmental psychologist? Well, that's a, that's a better quality question than just tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think that that's the part of the process. You know, I always have this thing whenever I do work with uh, educators, they say, well, I, my job is to teach kids critical thinking skills I'm like no critical thinking is a human property if you ever watch a baby you tell a baby don't touch that and so you turn away the baby go reach for it the baby is engaged in critical thinking right <laughs> they, they assess the risk they say assess the risk and reward mm-hmm. so critical thinking is a human property what we do is we try to teach folks how to apply that critical thinking to other areas that they don't ordinarily apply it to and so when you're talking about asking better and better questions whenever we're training folks as research we're not training them to think deeply we're training them to that, that they may think deeply about one thing, how you take that same skill and apply it in another area. And our job really is to, is to prepare people to ask better and better questions, to go deeper. And that's all critical thinking is. Once you think you have an answer, 
find another question, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so me, I would say to somebody, okay, well, look, we don't have to have an argument about whether or not somebody's a healer or not. Let's have a, let's have a conversation about what is healing. Right. That'll tell us whether you're a healer or not. Let's have that conversation, right? right? So, and, and, and as we sort of move through that, maybe we arrive, because that's how I arrived at the question of palliative care. Because I'm like, okay, well, look, when I started asking the question, what is healing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, that's not, that ain't actually what we really do. So yeah. I'm like, so what is that we actually do, right? So again, I wasn't trying to dispel the idea that, that psychologists could be healers. I was actually trying to figure out, okay, well, if we're going to say that, what what is actually healing? Right. And as I started going through that, unraveling that, it, it brought me to this space, right? So I think, we, you know, that's the question. What kinds of questions are we not asking right. um, that we should be? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good stuff. Asking more and more questions. And again, that's one of the premises in the healers, you know, yeah. um, asking the, continuing to ask questions and drilling down. Um, I, I, as The older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. And that I'm enthralled with the possibility of yet another question and exploring something new every single day. Um, so that's what we're about on this podcast. Okay. So, 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 huh? so, so I do think that there's, there's a, um, a, a second part of this conversation in our future, which is the role of African spiritual systems and all of that in this, in this conversation too, mm-hmm. right? Like, in other words, once you, once you raise the question about like no one person can do the healing, then the question is like, well, what are the other folks that we need to have in that conversation sure. around that, um, you know? Yeah, I was thinking about that in terms of even um, black psychologists being trained in a Western academy, but then we leave, some, some of us, maybe many of us leave and we go do supplemental training that's right, not of right. the academy, which right, right. enables us to have a broader toolbox full of things that we can draw on that we bring into our work um, that we don't necessarily talk about. Um, so right. that is, I think, in part, part and parcel to that conversation as well. Yeah. So we'll definitely put that um, on the list to, to get to at some <laughs> point, because that, <laughs> yeah, stuff to exactly. say there. yeah and then look, there's an there's actually a journal of, of um spirituality and clinical practice right so it's actually a journal that actually focuses on these issues but again we don't get to, to white folks say okay so you got permission to talk about this even though we know that the that the work that we do most people who do this work when you talk to them they say it's a collective enterprise it may look like it's focused on an individual but it's a collective enterprise and Part of our challenge is to make sure that you know we make transparent how work is. That we, I think that's a lot of what Armada does demystify certain things, right? Sure. Because when you demystify certain things, it empowers people, it empowers the general population to seek control over their own destiny, as opposed to thinking somebody else maintains the control of that. And I think that's you know that's a powerful part of of, the, of this podcast and other podcasts you do about like demystifying certain things so people have access to their own personal force, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's right. That that intuitive uh, creator that resides in us all that just right, right, right. charged up. Okay. Right. Well, again, I, I want to thank you for engaging this dialogue and bringing to the the airways some things that we um, engage in individually or in our own personal groups. Bringing this for other people to begin to hear and think about and develop their own questions because folks might have questions for us about some of the stuff that we talked about, which is great because we can always um, stand to continue to evolve this. 
but you know, I appreciate your presence and your being out there, pushing, pushing our community forward in doing this work and um, thinking critically about how we're doing this work and making a change. Um, you know, thanks, thank you for being on the front lines out there doing that. And, and uh, we'll continue to be moving forward as we walk our destiny paths and we'll be intertwined and uh, yeah. looking for- yeah. it's, always, it's always a pleasure. And, and, and um, I just want to commend you for, I mean, look, you got about a thousand other jobs. So I commend you for taking time out to really, like, this is really a community service, you know, uh, late at night to, to uh, come on and, and try to provide information to the community. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always admire the fact that uh, your humility and, and um, not wanting to bring attention to yourself. And I think, you know, part of it is just like, we're just trying to, to, to introduce some beauty into the world. Yeah. And uh, little by little for the time that we have here. And um, I'm always, um, you know, honored to have to share the space and, and to share with conversations that we've had many times and long drives and other spaces. Uh, mm-hmm. And just to you know, to bear witness to the fact that we've been having, been blessed to be able to have a friendship that has lasted as long as it has, all the twists and turns, and and um, and we both still here to enjoy it. So that's that's also a blessing too. Indeed, indeed. So we thank you all for listening, engaging this process with us, and uh, we you know continue to be a critical thinker, continue to work to align your actions and your values, whatever they may be. Um, you got to have them in alignment if you want to have a uh, forward movement in a positive space. So with that, we'll sign out and we will see you next time. Peace. In closing, I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being. We always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is Alashe.net, A-L-A-S-E.net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing. Running too fast to stop to listen